Well, hopefully you are in chapter 6, and I'm going to read for us verses 11 to 18 as we end Paul's letter. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Well, I've called this message on boasting. Because to boast or not to boast, that is the question. And the answer is that it depends, because in our passage we see two kinds of boasting. Now, my family told me not to do this, but I I felt like I had to, because in the language of the black country, there are two points to this sermon. Point number one is when boasting a Boston, and number two is when boasting is Boston, which translates as, and what will appear on the screen, when it's bad to boast and when it is good to boast. And we're going to see both of these uh, tonight in this passage. Uh, This is the the final sermon in Galatians. This, This letter has been showing us that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works. That's the the big point. False teachers had infiltrated the church in the region of Galatia And they were teaching otherwise, a false gospel that was no gospel at all. They were saying that in order to be completely right with God, you also needed to be circumcised. Faith in Jesus Christ alone was not enough, they said. But Paul has been showing us that this is just not the case. In Galatians 2 verses 15 and 16, I'm going to read some very familiar words because we learnt these as well. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. We are justified, made right with God, by faith in Jesus Christ, the one who has died in our place for our sins 
and has risen from the dead. We are not made right with God by earning his favor or contributing in any way towards God saving us. Circumcision cannot save you, but neither can any work of the Old Testament law or any other good work at all. Nothing but Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Well, Paul goes on in chapters 3 to 4 of Galatians to basically prove the point he made in chapter 2, verses 16, uh, 15 and 16. And then in chapters 5 and 6, we've been looking at what it means to live out this truth by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in the believer. And in closing this letter, Paul is showing us that because of the truth of being saved by faith in Jesus and not by our own works, our boasting then must be in Jesus Christ and not in ourselves. If we're saved by faith in him alone, we're not going to boast about how great we are. We will boast about how great Jesus is. But in verse 11, Paul strangely speaks of his large handwriting. Now, there are two reasons why Paul may have mentioned this. First of all, he may have been autographing his letter. Uh, sometimes Paul used the scribe to write letters for him. He would dictate the words. They are Paul's words, but the scribe would write it. And that may be the case here. And then to authenticate the letter as being from him, uh, he signs it off with what his, is his own distinguishable handwriting. But he may also, some believe, be indicating the passion with which he's speaking. Handwriting often says a lot about a person, doesn't it? If I send you a, a text message in capital letters, it's probably because I've pushed the wrong button, but you would think I'm shouting at you, wouldn't you, if, if you get that message. And Paul may be asking people to notice his passion in the letter, kind of, can you see how you've gotten me all worked up with the size of my handwriting kind of thing. Whatever the reason is, we know for sure that this verse shows us that this is Paul's letter. It is authentic. It is trustworthy. And as he ends it in his final words of this letter from him, he speaks to us on boasting. So first of all, we see the boasting that is not good. And that is this. Boasting is bad when it's about yourself to escape trouble. In verse 12, notice that we see uh, the goal, the means, and the motivation of this boasting, which is not good. We see a, a nefarious goal right at the beginning of verse 12. He says there, those who want to impress people. Do you see that? The aim or goal of these boasters is to impress people. They are people pleasers. Now, we looked at people pleasers in chapter 1 and verse 10, where Paul denies being one himself. And in that verse, he says, you can't be a, a people pleaser and a servant of Christ. So the goal here of these boasters is to impress people, but how do they go about it? Paul says, by means of the flesh. Now here, flesh means external things. Outward achievements that, that look really good. It's not talking here about the acts of the flesh, like in chapter 5, but he's talking about looking impressive externally. 
Now, for us, this could be any work that we do or any achievement that we revel in. Specifically in Galatia, we know that the external sign the false teachers boast about is circumcision. Notice what Paul says. They are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The false teachers were trying to force circumcision on people in the church. And they were saying that they needed to do this in order to be really right with God. And they were persuading people to go through circumcision. But they weren't doing it because they really believed that this soul might be right with God or cared about this soul being right with God. They actually were doing it in order to impress others by their ability to get followers who would do what they say regarding circumcision. You see? So we see the goal is to impress people. The means is the flesh, outward achievements. And then we see the motivation. Look at the end of verse 12. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So the motivation was to avoid persecution for the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is a way Paul summarizes the message of the gospel. It refers to how we are saved through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this is an offensive message. It's offensive because it says that we are sinners in need of saving. It is offensive because it says that the way we are saved is through a shameful, humiliating public death that we deserve. It is offensive because we don't contribute to it. It is offensive because it requires humility from us to accept it, and we are naturally proud. It is offensive because we want to be impressive, but are putting our faith in a man who was crucified, a most unimpressive way to die, and we identify with him. It is offensive because we are called to die to our old ways of thinking and living and be completely countercultural. It is offensive because it is the only way to be right with God. Jesus is the only king and he is the king forevermore and every other way is wrong. We read that in Isaiah 45. He is God and there is no other. And because of this offensiveness, God's people were persecuted for their message. Now, in this period, Judaism was a religion that was authorized by the Roman authorities. And so if people were circumcised, then Christianity could be seen as part of Judaism. And so the Roman authorities might well leave the Christians alone. And if the people were circumcised, then the Jewish people would not persecute them either. Because Jewish people were persecuting the Christians because they were teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. But it would be different if these people would follow the law. It would at least be easier. And so they were boasting in the flesh to make life easier for them. The Romans might leave us alone. The Jews might leave us alone. We'll be seen as a bit more normal. We would avoid trouble. And if we are going to follow Jesus Christ, then we also are going to face trouble, aren't we? For some, it may be from family who may reject you for following Jesus. 
For some of you, for our young people, you will be mocked at school. For some, you may be labeled as a bigot, a homophobe. You may lose opportunities for work. You may be punished by authorities. You may lose your bank account. And for some brothers or sisters, they face death or flee for their lives. And the temptation is there to try and impress people by something external or by denying the message of the cross in some way. We all will face that temptation when we otherwise are faced with trouble. So we may boast in the social work that the church does, but avoid talking about our message. We may try and impress people by changing what the Bible teaches on subjects that may offend. As a church, we could boast in our numbers, our music, our preachers, and all sorts of things short of the gospel itself. I mean, when people ask you about church, what is it you talk about most? Is it, oh, we have lots of people come to our church? The music's really good at our church. Is, are the, are the, are the, we do lots of good things for the children. Are those the only things you talk about? Those are good things, by the way, of course. But they're not what we boast in, are they? As individuals, we may try and impress people to try and make Christians seem normal and so go over the top in our drinking of alcohol, in our participation of office gossip, with buying other people's favor in various ways. Or you may simply try to impress people by making them not think you're a Christian at all and avoid the subject altogether. It's worth asking ourselves this question. In what situations do I try to impress people to escape trouble for being a Christian? Now, generally, it is quite easy to impress people, isn't it? You just find out what they like and you cater to it. It is much harder to take a stand and suffer for the truth. But that's what we're called to do. Well, Paul continues speaking of these boasters in verse 13. Look at the verse. It says, Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. So Paul here, he speaks not now about what they are boasting about, but he speaks about the boasters themselves, their, their character. First of all, notice how they're hypocrites. They compel others to keep the law through circumcision, but they don't keep the law themselves. It's all an external show. Now, you'll find hypocrisy always in those who try to impress others. I mean, we see this in our world at the moment with people's green credentials, where they fly all over the world in their private jets to tell everyone else to be green. Or how we can be accused as Christians of intolerance by people that are totally intolerant of our Christian faith. And you will often find people who boast about their godliness and their exploits for Jesus when they are hiding an ungodliness in their life that they are trying to compensate for. 
In fact, always be wary of anyone that tells you all the things they've done for Jesus. So first of all, they are hypocrites. Secondly, they are exploiters. They're not interested in the souls and the welfare of the people they are compelling to be circumcised. They are interested only in in increasing the numbers of those who they can say they have compelled to be circumcised. They could then go to the synagogue and, and report large numbers of people that they have turned to the law. When people are aiming to impress others, they don't care about others except for their opinions. Now we have to be careful about this in our church as well. We can easily want to impress people by big numbers and by trying to get people in. And we can welcome people then as as members or baptize them, but not check they're converted because all we're interested in is increasing the numbers. Do you see the danger of that? And in doing so, we're not caring well for them. We just want to have a bigger membership so we can go to a conference or go to our other, church, other churches and, and, and boast about how great we are. We can do this by gathering a following around us to share in our political opinions or our views on secondary important issues. We can seek a following we, and not care about helping them with their walk with God, but wanting them to just agree with you. It exploits people to make us look good, and it's wrong. So there is a boasting that is bad. It's when it's about yourself to escape trouble. But there's a different kind of boasting that is good, that Paul speaks of here in verses 14 to the end. Boasting is good when it's about the cross to elevate Christ. Notice in verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't want to boast in himself. He wants to boast in the cross. And notice he uses the full name, Lord Jesus Christ. His boast here is to elevate the Lord Jesus Christ to the person he really is, the Son of God in the highest place. And we see here how Christ is elevated by our words, our attitude, our transformation, and our integrity. So first of all, he's elevated by our words. At the beginning of verse 14, while others hide the truth of the cross to avoid persecution, Paul boasts in it. He speaks it. He proclaims it. He suffers for it as we'll see at the end of verse 17. Paul is proud of the message. He's proud of the gospel. He's not ashamed of it. He boasts in it. He doesn't boast in his own achievement. He doesn't go around telling everyone how great and wonderful he is, although Paul has much he could boast in. No, he boasts, he speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. As we read in Isaiah 45, all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. That's what Paul does. He speaks of Christ. So our words, they speak of Jesus and they elevate him. Secondly, we boast 
in the good way, in our attitude. Notice the second part of verse 14. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. To be crucified means to die. And so Paul is saying here that his relationship to the world has changed now that his faith is in Jesus. The world here speaks of the world's values, its riches, and its applause. Paul is saying that those things are dead to him. They are not what life is about for him. He may receive uh, riches, he may receive applause, but that is not about what the world is about for him. He's dead to those things. He's not seeking those things. He is therefore willing to lose those things in following Jesus. He will, he will willingly lose the riches and applause and rep- his reputation in this world because he's boasting in the cross of Christ. If losing those things elevates Jesus, Paul is dead to them. The highest priority in Paul's life is following Jesus Christ at the potential cost of everything else, you see? Everything else can go to boast in Jesus Christ. And he, it says, is crucified to the world. He is no longer the world's man, but he is God's man. That doesn't mean he isolates himself from the world completely. But this means that when the world sees Paul, they see someone who's totally different. Someone who has died to their old way of life, their old values, and who is someone who is totally new. Someone who lives out what we saw pictured this morning, dying and rising again. And with this kind of attitude of being crucified to the world and the world being crucified to him, he doesn't need to impress people because he's concerned about God's approval not theirs. He lives under the shadow of the approval of his Father in heaven who's given him that through Christ. And so he doesn't worry about what everyone else is thinking of him. The opinion of the only opinion that matters is for him. His Father, because of Jesus, approves of him. And of you, if your faith is in Christ. He doesn't need to avoid persecution for righteousness' sake because he knows the promise of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if we had that kind of attitude, it would transform our lives, cause blessing to us and to others around us. And this shows then, thirdly, our transformation. Look at verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. The external things that people boast in don't mean anything. They have no ultimate value in being made right with God. So for circumcision or uncircumcision, you can basically put any external thing you might boast in. They mean nothing. If you come up and you say all the great things that you've done and all the great great person you are, it just means nothing. What matters is the new creation. 
That's what shows that God is pleased with you. Now, the new creation here speaks of what Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Christians are new creations. We have been made new. We are not what we once were. We have have died to that old life. We have risen to a new life. We are new creations. And that new creation is not a completed work. It is something that is continuing to be at work in us. He is making us newer all the time, inwardly renewed day by day. We are being transformed. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That is the work of God in our lives. And until we see Jesus face to face, that is what God is doing in us, making us new. And so the new creation means that we live as Christians in such a way that our behavior reflects that which we now are. It reflects that that new life we have in Christ. And and that, that transformation is what matters. It's not about all the things that you have done, all your achievements. What matters is that the Spirit is living in you, making you more and more like Jesus. And so that impacts how we live and how we behave. And in verse 16, Paul says that we have peace and mercy if we follow this rule. Well, the rule here is the focus on being the new creation rather than focusing on being externally impressive to other people. We don't get peace with God and from God by trying to impress other people. In fact, trying to impress other people is exhausting and unpeaceful, if that's the word, because you're always having to try to impress them all the time with new things because the things you impressed them by last week are no longer all that impressive. But because our standing with God is based on what Jesus has done, he is always continually impressive, and our standing is based on him. We do not receive God's mercy upon our lives if we're boasting in ourselves. We don't receive God's peace if we're boasting in ourselves. How much more peace we have, the only real peace we'll have, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, living under the approval that he has won for us. And in doing this, we show ourselves to be what Paul says here in verse 16, the Israel of God. Do you notice that phrase there? The Israel of God. I think this phrase is kind of ironic for Paul here. The circumcisers thought they were making people into the true Israel. But Paul has shown us before that this is not the case. If you just look at chapter 3, verses 28 to 29, uh, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, or the Israel of God. And then in chapter 4, verse 28, we read, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise, or the Israel of God. And so Paul here is speaking in similar ways. Those who are new creations in Christ have received peace and mercy, and thus are the Israel of God. The people that God has continued 
from the Old Testament. And again, this occurs not from external rites like circumcision or baptism or works of charity, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we boast in Jesus Christ in our words, in our attitude, by the transformation in our lives, and finally, by our integrity. Oh, I was supposed to show you that verse earlier. There you go. Our integrity, verse 17. Paul says there, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Earlier in the letter, Paul was defending his apostleship, defending the fact that he was a genuine messenger of God with an authentic message. And he ends by saying that the proof of his genuineness, the proof of the genuineness of his message is the scars that he bears for proclaiming it. The false teachers avoid persecution, but Paul suffers it. And his scars are proof of the fact that he practices what he preaches. They are proof of the genuineness, the authenticity, that what he says is true. He's not going to suffer this, these scars, for something that isn't real. Now, some of us suffer for following Jesus. Many of us suffer, not necessarily for following Jesus, but suffer deeply with health problems, with family dramas, marriage difficulties, all sorts of things we, we suffer. Christians are not immune from that. But I think what we see here is that there is an authenticity that is deep. When a Christian boasts in Jesus Christ, even though their life is one of much suffering. Some of the greatest witnesses for the gospel are suffering believers. Because when they speak of how great and good God is, people listen all the more, don't they? A Christian who theologizes from an armchair is much less effective than one who speaks the truth from a wheelchair. I speak metaphorically as well as literally there. But for all of us, people may trouble us for being Christians. And when they do, let us make sure that we practice what we preach, that we are people of integrity. Paul suffered. His body showed the marks of Jesus. Some of us may have those same scars, but may all of us have this same integrity in our lives. Well, verse 18, Paul ends his letter with a final word of encouragement that speaks of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ being with the people. And I think grace is an appropriate word to end with. We are saved by grace and not by works. We are saved by the unmerited favor of God shown to us in Jesus. And it is this that unites us as brothers and sisters. It's interesting that Paul, uh, he begins his letter to Galatians with some, some fiery words 
um, of astonishment of what these people are doing in rejecting Jesus, but he ends it by reminding them that they are brothers and sisters saved by grace. And as we come to the end of Galatians, let me ask you again, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation? And if you have, are you boasting in him, in your words, in your attitude, in the transformation going on in your life, and in integrity? May that be the story of our lives. May we boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, one of the ways that we can boast in the cross of Christ is by together taking the bread and the cup. It's a wonderful way of, of doing that. But before we come to the bread and the cup, we're going to sing together of the cross of Christ. We're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us, which in the last verse tells us how we boast in the cross of Christ. So let's stand and let's sing, let's boast in song of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and then let's boast in it together as we take the bread and the cup.